it's like how do you deal with failure how do you create momentum from nothing like for me that is one of the big things it's like when i interview people now there's almost this x factor i'm looking for which is can this person create momentum from a point of zero Welcome back to the Career Therapy Podcast, where we are dedicated to helping professionals of all ages stress less in their job search, earn more in their careers, and figure out exactly what it is they want to be when they grow up. My name is Martin McGovern, founder and lead coach at Career Therapy, and I'm excited to introduce our guest today. Please welcome Ali Bridge to the podcast. Ali is a CMO at Bongiorno, an app for sending personalized videos to convert and support your customers. He joined them back in 2016 and has helped them grow into one of Australia's fastest growing startups with over 50,000 customers using the app today. In this episode, we talk about the six things that he learned while making a transition from sales into marketing early on in his career. From launching a side business and hustle to overcoming imposter syndrome, we really do cover everything that you need to know to successfully transition into a new role in this episode. So as you listen, I hope you'll follow Ali on Twitter, where he continues to share his marketing insights with the world. And if you like this show, please leave us a review on iTunes, subscribe on YouTube, or share this episode with a friend or colleague looking to make changes in their career. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Ali. Thanks so much for joining us today. I'm super excited to chat with you about, you know, the six steps that you shared on LinkedIn of how to switch from sales to marketing. Um, But before we get into it, I'd love for you to just share a little bit about your journey and how you got to where you're at in your career today. Yeah, so um, I guess like starting with like university, I was like, uh, I did history as as a BA um, and then I switched actually into English Lit, so I'm UK based, so um, yeah, BA history, and then I switched into a master's um, uh, for English Lit, and like from there, I think like a lot of like arts students, I was pretty uncertain like what I wanted to do, um, and I had this sort of one thing, I was really into food at the time, like food and wine was sort of my love, I'd always get like the Saturday newspaper over here, the, the Times, and had a really great insert, uh, the Saturday Times magazine. Um, there were a couple of sort of uh, food and wine critics that I loved and sort of followed every week. So my my thought was, uh, I could be a wine critic. So, <laughs> so so I moved down to to London and wrote to just tons and tons of different newspapers, hoping that I could sort of break into that sort of journalist um, sort of scene. Um, didn't really get a lot of responses. Um, I spent sort of a few months doing that. And I think I was just really naive, like what it would take to get into that world, you know, being a sort of English lit grad and not a journalism grad. Um, yeah, it was tricky. So I wasn't really sure which direction to go. So I ended up actually thinking, okay, how else can I do this? What might be another route into it? So I got a job at a company called Majestic Wine, who were a wine retailer, really good one with a really, at the time, really growing quick and a really great CEO. Um, and I got a job there. And actually started working at a really cool store down in Chelsea and sort of got started to, I think sort of being based in Chelsea, um, there were a lot of interesting characters around. And I was doing a lot of the sort of serving you know, people wine, advising them on wine and um, delivering it all around sort of South, like West London as well. So really interesting places, constantly going over the river in London, all these sorts of things. Um, so yeah, that was my sort of first career step, quite an uncertain one. Um, 
but hoping that it would sort of lead to this fairly um, predictable path. But I, I guess I quickly found out, like I think a lot of people do, that careers are highly unpredictable. <laughs> yeah, um, nothing is as yeah. predictable as you think, right? Uh, yeah. That's such a fun pivot you made, right? So you were thinking about being a wine writer and it wasn't quite going how you thought, but you you still stayed in that you know arena, right? And I think that's a really interesting point for anyone who's trying to get into the creative world, right? Because some people are like, oh, I want to be you know, a musician and then it doesn't pan out, but there's so many other jobs in the world of music that can be explored beyond just being a musician. So it's such a cool like pivot that you had there. And then how did you end up in the in the marketing world from there? So from there, I think my my issue with with wine was not necessarily the, the topic or the subject matter. You know, I loved wine as I loved everything about it, but it was working in retail and I just didn't enjoy the retail world, mainly just working at weekends and sort of missing a lot of my friends. I was quite young, I was early 20s, just moved to London. Um, they were all going out and I was sort of missing out on those nights out. Um, so I sort of left that job and thought, okay, again, not quite sure what I want to do. And then I, I sort of did that thing where I fell into something via um, a recommendation from a friend. They just said, oh, by the way, you know, I know this recruiter who's looking for people to work for this company. Um, you know, have a chat to them. They're a good company, a growing company. Um, and that turned out to be a company called Gorkana, who have since been um, acquired by Cision. And Cision are quite a big sort of in the sort of media and comms space in the US. So Gorkana was like, a, the time I joined, they were looking for basically like interns to help um, research their media database of journalists. So they sell to the PR industry and they have a media database of journalists and pretty much every PR in the UK at the time used it because they needed to look up who journalists were so they could pester them and get their stories in the newspapers. And again, it was sort of like, it was sort of cool because it was floating around that journalism space again. So I'd get contact with journalists. So I was trying to play in the right spaces, but I sort of fell into this one. Um, and I guess then since then, it was interesting because I was sort of in the journalism space, but it was a SaaS company, so subscription software. And that's really where I started to get more and more immersed in that scene, in the software scene. So I started out as an intern there. Um, I think so sort of quickly went up to account manager, then up to account director. So more sort of the client services stuff. And then only later switched into sales when we got bought by another company called Durrance who subsequently got bought by Cision um, and spent a few years doing sales in that organization um, until sort of 2014. So this was all between the 2008 and 2014. And then it was 2014 that I thought, right, okay, I want to do my own thing. I want to start my own business. So I left uh, that organization. So yeah, I sort of fell into an internship that developed through client services into a sales role. And how was it getting into sales there? Were you naturally like a salesy person or, or what did it come natural to you? What was it like? It's, it's a funny one. I think with a lot of salespeople, you almost don't know whether you are or not. And other people sometimes tell you. So I would go out with some of our sales leaders on, you know, I was sort of shadowing them. We go into uh, meetings with, I guess it's sort of progressively bigger and bigger organizations. So I started off sort of selling into sort of PR agencies in the UK. And then I moved up to, I guess, moved up to, but moved up to selling into sort of bigger sort of FTSE companies. So like legal in the legal profession, all this sort of different listed on FTSE 100, FTSE 250. Um, and as I was going out shadowing, there was this, I guess it's the people I was going with were saying, sort of listening to how I worked 
and actually told me I was a good salesperson in the sense that I was good at sort of listening and sort of opening up the conversation to the people in the room and making sure that I was gathering a lot of information. And I sort of, you know, I was getting good coaching at the time and good training, but I didn't, um, I think I was just trying to sort of fly by the seat of my pants a little bit where I was like taking my learnings from the client services roles mm -hmm. and trying to translate them into the sales roles um, and only sort of, yeah, and, and, and it sort of, you know, went pretty well just from that feedback I was getting. And I, then I sort of carried on with it from that initial sort of confidence. Yeah. And this is that point um, where how I found you, you put an article up on LinkedIn uh, with the six tips uh, that you wanted to share or six lessons that you wanted to share about um, how you switched from sales into marketing uh, five years ago. And so um, I've got all six of them pulled up here and I'd love to just expand on each of these uh, points that you make, because I think it really gives a great structure for folks who are maybe in a sales role trying to get into marketing or for anyone who's trying to make a switch. Cause you know, sometimes we think these things are a little more related than they actually are. And so we're like, oh, it should be pretty straightforward, but you still got to make that story work. You've still got to sell it in the right way. Um, even when I went from corporate side marketing to agency advertising, uh, that, that conversation needed to be had of like, why? Right. And so I'm super, I'm super excited to get into these into these six points and, and hear a little bit more about what you have to say about them. The first one is to have a side hustle. So you mentioned going off and starting your own business. And in this uh, point that you made, you said you started your own business and it failed, um, but it could be anything, uh, any sort of side hustle. So can you expand on that point a little bit? Uh, what was the business or side hustle that you started? There were probably a few at the time actually. Um, I'll just say it's funny with this LinkedIn post, I put it out there and it was almost like a sort of, um, you know, just off the, off the cuff thing. Mm -hmm. um, and those points came together. It's really cool to hear that they're really salient points and that we're going to go through them. So, um, yeah, the, the side hustle thing was um, actually working at Gorkana. I saw a lot of the problems with how we were sort of packaging it and selling it. And I, I, as the salesperson, there, I was getting frustrated with how we were doing things. And I guess like every salesperson can probably relate to this, you know, or every sort of marketer, even, you know, the, the things that are happening in your business that you don't like, you want to go and fix. Um, so I started working on the side, actually on a, a business that could almost not compete, but I just wanted to create something that I thought could be a better version of what we were selling um, just on the side. I had no you know, idea whether I'd go on and launch this thing at any point in the future. And probably I wouldn't be able to do it in six months, 12 months, because non-compete clauses anyway. Um, but I worked on it with a friend just as like, I wanted to sort of figure out what was going on and how tricky was it to actually make a business like this? How could you position it? All these sorts of things. Um, and actually diving into like, what would the UX of this platform that we were going to build look like? Um, so I did that at the same time though, I think it was, you know, I was late twenties, just having lots and lots of different ideas. So at the same time, I was also thinking just generally about trends and what businesses could work in the UK that I was sort of looking across to the US and seeing what was working over on your side. And at the time, one of the things that was getting really big and I thought I could be interested in was like cold press juices. Um, so I actually ended up, rather than doing the sort of SaaS tech business thing that I was working on on the side, I actually ended up starting up a cold press juice business in North London. Um, and I think the reason I did that was because it was quite uh, an easy thing just to launch and get off the ground. And there was something like that. It's just like, right, website, do some marketing locally, 
like put it out there, see what people think, create some flyers, put them through doors, you know, these sorts of things. So it was like quick stuff I could test based on a trend that I'd recognized in the marketplace um, just to see what the appetite was like. So for me, that was like a really nice, small test. One of the issues with that though was sort of a year and a half into it, I realized actually the day-to-day -day of doing that thing was very different to this thing that I thought I'd be doing every day because the day-to-day -day of running a cold-pressed juice business is pressing juice unless you've got <laughs> someone to do it for you. So it's like, you know, picking up vegetables, washing vegetables, uh, cutting them, pressing them, all these sorts of things and then getting the deliveries out. Um, so I guess that's one one aside, I'd say, when you yeah. start thinking about businesses, think about, really do think about what is the day going to look like and write it down and think about, do you want to be doing that thing every day? Yeah, that's so fun. It also, it, it kind of harkens back to your wine days as well, right? I mean, that's just pressed juice in its own right. right? <laughs> um, yeah. So you've got these little businesses going um, and you it sounds like you did them for quite some time and did you did you do them on the side of your work did you leave your role to go do them what, what did that all look like so the first one where i was mapping out this i guess the competitor product to to gorkana which i never actually ended up launching that was on the side so that was just me with a friend who was at that organization at the time so hopefully they're not listening to this but um you know just riffing and and thinking about how it all works so that was at the time and i think that's probably the best place to start. But then um, I went, I got married, went away on honeymoon with my wife. And I think it was the night we got back. I said, I'm leaving my job. I, I just had this feeling like I've got to do something now. Oh, wow. um, and that was the, the start of the cold press juice thing. And I wouldn't recommend, I guess I wouldn't recommend people doing that unless you've got some savings. So I've been doing pretty well in the sales role. I've been hitting my targets, getting my OTE, all of this sort of stuff. So I had some savings put away. So I knew I could probably survive and have an okay lifestyle for you know a good couple of years um, if I did something else. And I didn't know I was going to do the cold press juice thing. I just had this impulse tell me I've got to go and start something. Um, and it ended up being the cold press juice business, you know, by way of actually getting. I sort of, I spent a lot of time around Old Street, around sort of Tech Hub in the Old Street, London area, East London. Um, and I was thinking about starting up a software business. But again, like I said before, the difficulty level of doing that from where I was at, I had no experience in that, was probably too high. So I went with something that was a bit more agile, a bit leaner that I yeah. could do. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the biggest values, because a lot of times people hear this stuff and they'll go, well, I don't want to start a business that doesn't work, right? Like they, they kind of get negative in their minds about it. And I think the idea of what works is, is much broader than what people think, right? You can start a business and have it not pan out for the actual sake of the business, but the stuff you learn from it and the skills you get and the stories more particularly that you can tell from that experience are huge. Cause that's, that's what you mentioned in your post. You said it can be literally anything, but just do it and really start to get what it, it what it means to market something. Yeah. And that, that idea of like, um, I feel like so many people are disconnected from the value that their job brings to a company. I ask developers all the time, why would a company hire you? And they're like, because they want a developer. And I'm like, but why? Like, what's the business case for this job, right? What is the, how, how does marketing actually impact a business? So was that like one of the big takeaways from you? Just the marketing process, branding process? Yeah, that's a really good point. I think it was, I think it was the, 
the bits that come with that. So when you throw yourself into something like creating a business, it's like you say, it's some of those intangibles or those things you can't even predict that you're going to start learning. So it's like, how do you deal with failure? How do you create momentum from nothing? Like for me, that is one of the big things. It's like when I interview people now, there's almost this X factor I'm looking for, which is can this person create momentum from a point of zero? Um, and when you try and start your own business, you start learning how to do that. Um, and any marketer, in my opinion, sort of needs to be able to do that. Um, I guess you could have been, you know, you could be trained up on a specific niche, like you could be a technical SEO, or you could be this or that, you know, uh, email marketer. But I still think there is that challenge that every business, is fa every business faces that if you go into that business and say, by the way, I can kickstart momentum from this point of practically nothing. That's really attractive to anybody that wants to hire, I think. Absolutely. That's, and that plays right into point number two, which is the number one skill you will take into marketing is your ability to listen to customers and distill their needs. It is super important. So cherish it and be bullish about it. So how, how do you typically think about that or approach that in your work? Well, I guess if you've been a salesperson, you have probably sat in rooms with real human beings sort of way more than most of your peers. Um, I think when I was at Gorkana, I was doing probably something like eight meetings a week, eight to 10. Um, I was there five years. So let's, you know, I don't know, it's probably somewhere in the region of like a thousand, you know, 500 to a thousand. I can't remember the exact figure. You know, rooms that I've been in with customers of all sorts, really broad spectrum from agencies to these FTSE 100, FTSE 250 companies. So I think it's just being good at remembering that. I guess that dynamic is a weird one to try and articulate because when you sit there as a marketer and suddenly you're behind your desk, you've got to remember to break out of that, this space that I'm in now and go out and speak to people. It's funny that I'd say the one thing that unified, like every good month I've ever had here at Bonjoro in the last four years since we've been going, the one thing that I can always point back to is that I've spoken to lots of people. It's a funny thing. So I think as a marketer, don't forget that your job still is to just speak to people and create momentum that way. And salespeople are really good at that. So if you're a salesperson thinking, how can I be good at marketing? You've already got it. You've already got that thing where you lean forward and you go and get on the phone or you create partnership opportunities by just speaking to other marketers in the space or you're on a WhatsApp group with other marketers, all these sorts of things where you're having conversations and listening and learning. That stuff is it's really important. Yeah. And it really does help because when you're in that marketing role, sometimes you get a little detached from the outcomes of the product. I know when I was in advertising marketing, you know, you spend all day putting stuff out into the world and all you get back are maybe some spreadsheets with some numbers on them. And you, you kind of lose touch with that uh, person on the other end. And so it's really cool that you're, you know, putting yourself in positions to, to really engage. Um, so jumping into the third point here, you said that accept that you will take an initial pay cut as you cut your teeth. It's a long-term gain game that will pay dividends later. So make sure that this is viable for your current lifestyle and situation. So this kind of plays back into some of the savings conversation that you brought up earlier. But what exactly, when, when you went through this transition, what was the uh, financial situation like going from sales into marketing? Yeah, it's pretty tough because you, you lose... There might be some people that can make that transition better than I did. 
you know, I was still, I guess it'll depend what stage of your career you're at. I was still pretty young. So remember I was sort of mid twenties to late twenties. So I didn't really have that self-confidence where I thought actually I could go and grasp or you know, take control of a sort of marketing role that would give me the same sort of money as I was on. So definitely sort of, you know, salesperson OTE, you're going to probably lose that. Um, you're also probably going to have to step into, well, for me, my impulse, I, I wanted to step into a slightly smaller organization where I would have more um, control over the creative process and the strategic and positioning and taking us to market. So I guess it depends a little bit what sort of marketing you want to do. But if you want to do that marketing where you're really controlling more of the process and that positioning, then I think you're going to have to take a pay cut. But for me, it was it was over 50%, yeah, over 50% oh, wow. pay cut. So, yeah, so it was... It, it was a big amount. And before I came into Bonjuro, actually, I'd done um, another sort of smaller marketing role at another organization, which again was sort of quite a lot less than I was on in the sales role. Um, and it's taken me, you know, here at Bonjuro, it's taken me four to five years to get back up to that point that I was on with the sales role. But, you know, I've really enjoyed doing it. I think it's, you know, I don't know this sort of cliche thing, but, you know, the sort of, I think just, Having that creative input in this business, being excited about what Bonjoro is doing, all the other things that come with it. We have like team retreats where we meet up. Well, we did before coronavirus, but so team retreats where we get together and they'd be in Australia or here in the UK or you know, other places around the world. You know, that stuff has been really important to me. And also feeling like I'm part of that. You know, I'm not a founder here, but I feel very much part of the founding team and they listen to me and um, listen to my sort of strategic direction. So I definitely trade that for the money that I was on when I was in my sales role. Yeah, and that and that's a conscious decision that you made while you were looking at different places to go to a smaller shop than a larger one. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and I think, um, as I say, I think that was an age thing. Maybe if I was 35, 40 when I was when I was making this decision, I might not have made the same decision. You know, right now I've got two kids, so possibly wouldn't have been a, you know, able to even do that. So I guess it depends sort of what life stage, um, you know, what other things you have going on in your life. Yeah. And, I, you know, that exposure to so many different parts of the business can be really huge, especially early on in, the, in a career. And so your next point here, number four, is that your tech stack as a salesperson is smaller. So as a marketer, you need to use and master about three to five times the number of tools. And if you don't truly enjoy learning or quote unquote, struggling with new tech, don't jump. Um, what was that uh, learning curve like for you? Yeah, it's pretty big. When I put the post out, I wondered whether I get comments back from salespeople saying, hold on, the sales space is now full of tech. And, you know, I, I don't agree with this. But in my experience, I think it is probably a bigger tech stack that you're dealing with. So learning experience is big because it's not just the stuff you're dealing with, you know, in a sales role like CRMs and, and any of the tech that helps you do outreach, all of these sorts of things like, um, you know, Lemlist or Mailshake or any of these things that you have to learn. It's the, the data, the day-to-day -day data and understanding of what's working across your channels. I guess the thing with marketing is you've got so many different channels and every different channel has tech related to it. But then all of those bits of tech have to be stitched up to reporting. So then you can tell the business what's working also just so you've got insight over what's working so you can do more of it. Um, and it ends up becoming this a huge thing that you're never really truly on top of and you just do your best to try and figure out 
you know, which levers are working at, at which times because you're doing so much. Um, and I wouldn't say, you know, marketing is a sort of just have all the taps on at the same time. There are definitely things that work better, um, but you are having to juggle an awful lot of stuff on a day-to-day -day basis. So yeah, I think with the, I guess if you, if you like tech, don't be afraid of that learning curve because I think that learning curve for anybody is going to be difficult. You know, no matter what role you're in, the tech that you have to learn when you get into those roles is always going to be a bit tricky. Um, I just think with marketing, it's re it's really tricky because there's just so much of it. Yeah. Are there any programs or things that you would recommend people start maybe looking into if they're looking to make this transition? Yeah, I'd familiarize yourself with. I think I think firstly I'd follow. The thing I started doing a few years ago is like following people on Twitter where I saw them talk about their marketing stack and trying to figure out, you know, what tools were they talking about and then sort of hunting down what those tools allowed them to do. Um, and then talking to people in the space once I had a bit more confidence. Um, so for me, you know, things like you know, Amplitude, like Amplitude was this tool that I heard about like three years ago. And it's only probably last year that I really truly started to understand it. Um, and essentially, you can just feed all of your marketing data into this thing via something maybe like segment. I don't want to get sort of too technical here, um, but all of your data around sort of you know, uh, sign up sources and uh, when someone signs up to your product and they say, or industry they're in, all of these, anything that you collect about your customer, um, you can query um, through this tool and you can start uh, building sort of dashboards of reporting around sort of different cohorts, how they're performing in your product are they activating all these sorts of things so something like an amplitude that gives you that uh, I guess um, sort of cohesive like collective view of what's happening um, is a really good thing because you need as a marketer like a, a living an understanding of the sort of living nature of the cohorts of people that are coming into your product you know are they activating are they the right people for your product because the market doesn't just like my marketing last year I can't do the same marketing this year and it will work like the market is evolving all the time so you need to have the right tools and the right reports and it allows you to adjust to that and i think that plays back into your first point of having some sort of side hustle or side business or something to work on because it gives you a living project to test with and to go learn some software with i remember early on there was all sorts of stuff from you know podcasting equipment to all these different things that i wanted to learn and I was just like, well, I guess I have to start a podcast to learn how to use this stuff. I guess I have to go build a thing to actually have a CRM to even to have people in a CRM to work with, right? Um, and so it's really, I think that's such a great point to bring in. Um, and then you mentioned number five here, you'll probably feel like an imposter for about three years. Now, this is one of the first times I've actually heard someone put a number to how long imposter <laughs> syndrome lasts. So uh, you say there's no avoiding it. Uh, your brain will cling on for dear life for those first few years, and then all of a sudden it isn't. So, what's been your sort of roller coaster of imposter syndrome? Wow, it, it still sort of is going on a little bit. It just depends on what scenario I'm in, I guess. Um, I think the, I think it's more about some of the basic tech that you learn as a marketer, like Google Analytics, all of these sorts of things that you've got to wrap your head around when you don't know that stuff it's really frightening because you're like, these are the sort of simple components of doing my job, like landing page builders, you know, uh, uh, email marketing platforms, these sorts of things like active campaign, MailChimp, like that stuff, it's frightening because 
you just don't know any of it and you're trying to adapt to that space so I, I said three years because I felt like there was sort of this three-year process where it's like okay all of this technology and all of the tactics and understanding of what it takes to be a good marketer it took me a long time to learn that and it felt like it was about three years and it was only sort of a year and a half ago where I felt like okay I could actually teach other people how to do this stuff and I think that's always a good marker when you feel sort of confident enough to teach other people how to do things you sort of feel like you're less of an imposter um but still then if you sort of you know go down like a niche like amplitude like I just talked about there'll be other marketers who just know way 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 more about technically how to use that tool than I do so if I was to be in a room full of those people I'd feel like an imposter right now so you know I, I guess it's all relative a little bit but I do think it's sort of that general getting the yeah the basic marketing tech stack and understanding of sort of tactics and what's really going on took me sort of two to three years. I love that because, you know, I, I think it really is probably the most prevalent thing for anyone going through a career transition is that imposter syndrome. And, you know, I'll always host things like alumni panels and stuff so that the alumni can tell the young students like, no, I'm still an imposter and I'm two years in or whatever it might be. And so the fact that you're, you know, it, it, it maybe that like huge bout of it will calm down a little bit, but it always crop up in different ways throughout the career. Um, and then your last point here is to follow other great marketers and learn from them. But uh, we already sort of hit on that a little earlier. So I want to pivot it a little bit into uh, teaching other people, because I think one of the best ways to learn is to try and teach and share. And you and I got connected because you put this list together on uh, LinkedIn. And I think someone I know commented on it and, and maybe tagged me in it or whatever the thing was that happened. So um, I just think it's so cool that you're you know now at the stage where you're putting stuff back out into the world. And obviously there's multiple reasons to do that, to learn, to promote, to, to, to market yourself in a way. So what is your current approach to your career and how are you staying on top of things? And I'm, I'm throwing too many questions into this question, but uh, how are you staying on top of things and learning? And then also, how are you thinking about the next five years or the next transition? Staying on top and learning is a good one, actually. And it only just popped into my head as you said it. I think the, the key right now is like small um, little niches with fellow marketers where there's just a small selection. I, you know, they used to be called, and I'm sure they, they're still out there, like sort of master classes and masterminds. But I have a couple of WhatsApp groups where I've got sort of five to 10 marketers and I've been invited in by another marketer who's seen what I'm doing. Those things for me are, are really important. So wherever you see someone talking about like a small collection of people doing something similar to what you're doing, definitely get involved in those because just being able to ask questions when you're really unsure is good but also to see like we go back to the imposter thing to see the questions coming in from other marketers where it makes you feel a bit better because you know that they're struggling too um that for me is really important um what was the question again because i forgot, I forgot well no let's keep element. digging into that because i think it's really important when i was early in my marketing career i think the way that i approached it was to join because I was massively shy and introverted. So I would join uh, professional organizations because they would already have events going on and have things to plug into rather than trying to invent everything from scratch. Um, so are you just joining like digital groups? Are you joining organizations? What are the different things that you're you're engaged in? 
I guess that journey's evolved a little bit. So if I had to go back five years ago to when I left my job and got into the whole sort of tech scene around Old Street in East London, definitely I was going along to events and trying to get involved in sort of professional organisations where I could do that learning. Um, but as I've been in this role, I guess I've sort of niched down. You start to realise that there are actually only a smaller group of people who are doing the very specific things that you're doing and you need to find those people. Um, Twitter is an amazing place. I think every, a lot of people would say this is a great place for finding people who have a specific subset of knowledge. Um, and you can you can spot that. You can see it. You know, it's quite clear to see when someone tweets stuff that they're struggling with the same things or that they've figured out the things that you need to figure out. So I tend to follow people on Twitter and then sort of get a bit closer to them that way. And then that's when I found, find out about these smaller sort of groups that we can all sort of co-learn together. Um, I think probably... You know, coronavirus has changed this a little bit for me because I just don't have that access to people in a sort of real world environment. So I think that the reaction has been to go into things like WhatsApp groups and all these sorts of things. You know, I think when it opens up a little bit more, I'll probably try and get back into the, you know, the sort of group led learning stuff. I don't think I'm beyond that in any way. You know, I think it's important. Actually, Casey, um, my colleague, is actually working on a course. Um, you know, for, for for CXL at the moment, one of these organisations. So, you know, I think it's important to do that because he's he's finding that a really interesting learning experience of itself. Because he's sort of, I think it's like forty pages into his script writing for the videos he's going to record for them. So, it's a really good time for you to sort of focus all of your own knowledge as well. Um, so, yeah, I think you need a bit of both. But yeah, I think that once you start to figure out the marketers who are definitely doing the things that you're doing very specifically, try and get into small groups with them where you're really sharing that knowledge. I love that. And when it comes to the next, I don't know, phase of your career, when you think long term, uh, I always find it such an interesting thing. You know, you get that cliche question in the interview of where do you see yourself in five years and no one has a good answer for it, especially with, you know, pandemics cropping up. <laughs> it's like, uh, well, I thought I was going to be hosting meetups, but I guess I don't do that anymore. Um, so I'm curious, you know, how do you think about your career long term? Do you think in really long term future terms? Do you just kind of focus on, you know, the next year or two years? What, what's your approach? I think right now I'm really caught up in like what team do we want to create here at Bonjoro? That's my number one thing. You know, we're expanding. We, we just got a bit more investment last year. So with that, there's enjoyment, but also the pressure of what sort of team are you guys going to create? What do you need to, to do now? So you know, that's very much like right up front and center, of like what I'm up to. Long term, yeah, it's tricky. You know, for me, it's like I need to, and I think like a lot of people probably think this, I need to go out there and achieve something that I can hold up and say, like, I did this before I can go out. Maybe this sort of comes back to me probably still feeling like an imposter before I can go out there and say truly, OK, now I'm going to teach the world what I know because no one listened to me until Bonjour is sold for you know, whatever millions. <laughs> so I don't know. I think, yeah, I think it's the two things like Bonjour team. Let's get that sorted, expanded. I will learn a lot from doing that. And then down the line, if we can make Bonjour into something truly great then and sell it, then, yeah, I can probably go on and teach a sort of broader selection of the population, sort of what I know and how I did it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you're already in the process of doing that, too, even if it might not feel that way. Yeah. Um, uh, and if there was one last thing that you would want anyone who's starting the career in marketing to know, what would you really want to hammer home, home today? I think don't try and go too fast. I think one of the one of the dangers and the dangers that I 
I think I ran into this in the first couple of years was thinking I could do too much too quickly. Um, and I was chasing like every next little tactic or hack and all these sorts of things. But really when I, like I said earlier, when the great, great months without a Bonjoro always seemed to come back to this unifying thing or factor of I spoke to more people, I spoke to more customers or I spoke to more partners like marketing partners did more collaborations with our integration partners, whatever it might be. So I think if you're starting out in marketing, try and think about who are the people that I need to talk to every day or every month that are gonna, I guess, want like help me do my job better, make it easier, give me information, but also just will help me create that momentum. Because if you just hide behind your desk and think you're gonna be able to come up with a tactic that's gonna suddenly propel your business to this next level, I think you'll struggle unless you get really lucky. I don't know. I think you'll struggle and you'll actually have a better experience and better enjoyment and be more confident as a marketer if you just speak to more people and this natural organic growth thing will start to happen. Um, so I think that'd be my tip. I love it. And if folks want to hear more of your tips and follow along with what you're doing, where should they find you? So uh, on Twitter uh, is probably where I am personally. So uh, I think, what's my handle there? Ollie underscore bridge. So OLI underscore bridge um, as in sort of train bridge or a you know, bridge that you go over or walk over. Um, and then if you go to, uh, if you Google video funnel playbook, um, that's like this playbook. I put together all sorts of ways that you can use video uh, in your business to convert leads or you know, win customers for life, just sort of create great relationships with your customers. So, yeah. I love it. Ali, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all these amazing tips. Thank you so much, Martin. Really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode today. I really appreciate your support of what we're building here at Career Therapy as we continue to try and explore the hidden side of modern work and tell some of the stories that maybe don't get enough light shed on them. If you enjoyed what you listened to today, I hope you will leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, subscribe to this wherever you're listening or watching on YouTube, Spotify, etc. And uh, share this with some friends who you know are going through similar experiences and looking to build their career and, and gain some insights along the way. Again, thank you so much for stopping by, and I wish you the best. I'll see you on the next episode.